0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friends, Amanda and Skylar Sorensen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks Thanks. for having us. Um, By way of introduction, this is a couple, active LDS couple, um, been married since March 15th of 2018. So that is two years coming up in a month. And um, we'll just talk about their story. Skylar came out as gay during the dating process, and we'll talk about that road and how that um, <clears throat> just how that conversation went down. And obviously it went down well because they're married and really happily married. So that's an important story for our listeners to hear. Skylar's a return missionary, grew up in St. George, served a mission in Eugene, Oregon, And that will be about the first 30 minutes of the podcast. The second 30 minutes will be after this couple got married. They, like all couples, um, want to have children. And they had a little baby, Milo, born at 24 and a half weeks. And he lived about a month but then passed away. And that's a pretty brutal road for parents to walk, a road that I don't know anything about. And they agreed to share that story. And our hope is that just brings hope and perspective and healing to others that have lost a child. Anything to correct so far? Is that okay? No. Yeah. I yeah, think that that's sounds good. So <laughs> right. this couple walked in my house. They just, you can just tell they love each other. This is a real wonderful, beautiful marriage. And I have learned by way of introduction that mixed orientation marriages where one is not straight. Um, I kind of thought those marriages maybe weren't authentic or blew up because that's kind of all I heard. And I've been rebuked by the spirit as I've sat with couples in these podcasts that are in mixed orientation marriages and have felt incredibly beautiful, wonderful, authentic marriages that are love stories. So um, I'm glad that they're sharing their story. Um, So talk, we're going to shorten this maybe than we would in a normal podcast. Um, Who did you, let's just talk about pre-mission, Skylar. Did you come out to anybody before you served your mission in Oregon?
1: Um, Yeah, I did. It was... Probably about six months before I left, I was preparing for a mission and, um, I came out to a close friend of mine, um, my, my parents and, uh, one of my sisters and then my, my Bishop, um, up to that point, I had the idea of, of telling anyone had just absolutely petrified me, um, for whatever reason, just, You know, shame developed in childhood for um, the ways I uh, interpreted different teachings of the church. Um, But up to that point, it never occurred to me that I could write a note um, because just the idea of um, talking to someone about it, you know, face to face absolutely petrified me. So I wrote a little note. I I remember I was in a, I think it was a stake conference or Um, something like that, where we were listening to elder Packer talk and the thought just came out of nowhere. I I could write a note and I could tell, you know, my parents and a few close of my close friends and and family. So I I did that. I, I wrote a note. Um, I left it for my mom. I put it somewhere safe, told her where it was and left the house. Um, went to my close friend's house and, um, told him, I, I, <laughs> I I texted him while sitting next to him. Cause again, it was just so terrifying for some reason. So I told him and then, and came home and talked to my mom and, um, my sister and showed her the note and it was just, just nothing but just love and, and, um, support. And I never questioned my, my parents, um, love for me through any of this
0: that's great i love the idea of doing a note because i think it's i think it's a great way to do that yeah yeah um or an email or a letter i just think sometimes getting out things that are tender to the heart um it's easier to sometimes write that down and then letting people process that on their own is sometimes a good way so i think it was smart i think he was acting on god's impressions for you
1: yeah i think so Talk
0: about your mission. Did you come out to your mission president?
1: I, I did too. Yeah, I had. So it was, actually, it was exactly a year for my first mission president. And then a new one came in for the, the second half of my mission. Um, And I um, told both of them just to receive guidance and, um, you know, feel like I wasn't holding something back. Um, is more for I think me than anything else. Um, but yeah, I did tell both of them. What's the best things if as you've come out
0: to bishops and two mission presents and maybe others that are priesthood leaders, what's the best thing message or what's the best thing any of them ever have done? Has there been one that's really said that really helped?
1: Um, yeah, I think I've I've never really had a, a negative experience um confiding in, in, in any of my Um, priesthood leaders. Um, It's been, I I think what has helped me the most is they aren't ever shocked or like recoil or anything like that. It's just, um, they almost just go straight to talking about, um, you know, what I can do in my life to live the gospel and um, have a you know have have a happy life regardless of my trials and just like me they 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 have seen it just like any other trial nothing crazy out of the ordinary or anything like that so that's been really helpful.
0: Before we went live, you mentioned one priesthood leader in your life kind of told some other people about your situation. How did that make you feel that other people learned about it through a, what you felt was a trusted conversation?
1: Um, Yeah, that was, that was, I guess, probably the, the only negative experience I had. I confided in um, one of my leaders on my mission and um, it was, I just kind of spread throughout the mission and and became somewhat of a rumor. Um, At that time, it was, it was difficult for me. Um, I, I, I mean, I was lucky with my mission and didn't have many Issues other than the typical mission struggles, and so it was definitely hard. But looking back, it, it's I. It's not too big of an issue for me, and I, I understand. You know, maybe what they were thinking, or um, what may may have been going through their heads, and I've forgiven them, and it's not not anything I'm bitter about.
0: You're very kind, and I recognize that confidentiality is a pretty big deal, and it sometimes takes a little bit of discipline to do that. I remember as a wise bishop, sometimes someone would open up and, you know, information is power. So sometimes there's a temptation on my part to share that with a member of the ward council or the fire bishopric members or even a spouse. And part of that motivation, if I really looked inward, was just that it elevated me because I knew this information. Um, And I don't, I'm not implying that's what your mission president did, um, but sometimes just having information, just we want to maybe share that as a way just to elevate ourselves because we're in the know or we know something. And I think we have to look really carefully as our responsibility to keep confidentiality in place because mm-hmm. sharing of confidences mm-hmm. is one of the greatest um, ways to, to lose trust. Yeah. And you're very gracious, Skylar, um, in that situation. But I recognize it added to your load as a missionary and, and yeah. it would have been better if that hadn't happened.
1: Yeah, for sure. I agree.
0: Talk about your emotional health. Um, when did it ever really get into a really dark spot with connected with being gay or have you been okay?
1: Um so I, I kind of mentioned briefly, but I've just been really Fortunate with my experience. I um I, I definitely had my fair share of of struggles and confusion, especially in my adolescence, early, early high school, especially. Um, but I I really had just the best support in my family, my friends. I never got to you know, the low of lows. I never um Experience something that i I didn't bounce back from. and I've just I, I've been very blessed with those in my life. and um i I've always wanted a you know a wife and a family. That's always been a desire for me. So even with um, you know being gay and being a member of the church and you know potentially how those can. I guess, butt heads. Um, it, it never really did for me. So I, I realize I'm maybe not the exception, but definitely very fortunate in that sense.
0: You're How old are you right now, Skylar? 25. What would you go, if you could talk to your younger self in high school, what would you say to your younger self?
1: I think the biggest thing is just don't worry so much about what other people think. Because this is not something that, in my experience, most people have negative feelings toward. It's it's mostly they just want to support you and they just, they'll love you and, you know, accept you even with this in your life. And it's really not that big of a deal, I guess. I mean, I know again, it's, it's different for everyone, but for me in my experience, that's, that's what I would want to tell my, my younger self is just don't worry. Just, (laughs) just allow yourself to open up and, and talk about it and it'll feel a lot better.
0: Thank you. Now we're going to just skip all the way forward to you dating Amanda and Amanda, let's that, how long had you and Skylar been dating before he came out to you as gay? Do you remember? Good
2: question. I think it
0: was about three months, probably. We're just checking Amanda's microphone. <laughs> now we're on Is that better? That's better.
2: Okay. Um, I think it was probably about three months after okay. we started dating is when he came out to me. And Sounds let me ask right.
0: Skylar, what caused you to come out to Amanda?
1: Well, Amanda is an amazing gal. She is very, um, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, she she knows, she reads people really well. She um, can feel people's emotions and she can um, tell when something is up. And she, she had a relationship prior to dating me um, where he was very um, uncertain about his feelings for her and that had a big, big impact on her. And she was kind of having flashbacks to that. Cause I was, um, she, she was my first real, um, girlfriend, I would say. And just me trying to navigate what a girlfriend meant for me and what a relationship would be, um, definitely weighed on me. And so she, she could tell something was going on and she interpreted that as I didn't know how I felt about her, and I was having second thoughts. Um, and I guess, looking back, in in my own way, I I kind of was, but in a different way, in a different light. I was it was more about me and figuring out what a relationship meant for me, rather than how I felt about her, because I really did like her at the time. And um, so that that kind of those conversations kept happening. She kept <laughs> approaching me, <laughs> yeah. and so I ended up um t- telling her much earlier than I was expecting, but it, it turned out to be for the better. How did you tell her? Um again, I wrote a note. I um we won't go too too in depth. That was a really weird day. <laughs> a weird couple day. weird things happened with <laughs> we were stuck at her parents' house with a SWAT team at a different house blocking us in and so we didn't get home till really late.
2: It was also pioneer day. So we were at like a barbecue.
1: <laughs> so by the time we got back to our, um, apartment complex where we both lived, um, I was really tired <laughs> and I had told her previously, I I told her, I, I want to tell you something, but can I tell you later in the day? And then by the time we got home, I wanted to go back and, um, I, I, I asked her if I could just tell her tomorrow and she reluctantly agreed to that. Um, but as i was walking up to my apartment i just had the feeling i i can't i can't sleep i can't go another day with this so i had already written the note so i just went and put it on our doorstep and again ran away in fear <laughs>
2: <laughs> he texted me and he said i left something on your i left a note on your doorstep or something and um read it and like let me know what you think about it and I was like okay so I went out and got the note and um I went out to my I start I can't remember if I opened it but I went out to my car and I was reading it and I remember reading it and calling my mom and crying and just being like mom I don't know what to do like he had told me not to tell anyone, but I was like, I have to tell my mom. I can't not tell someone. I... That
1: wasn't very fair of me.
2: <laughs> um,
0: tell us about the note. What Did he come out? I mean, did he say, what did he talk about in the relationship? Did he say it was over? Did he say he wanted to continue?
2: No. So he said he said he wanted to continue dating, and he told me basically his feelings on marriage and how he's always wanted to have a wife and have a family and stay within the church. And so that was really reassuring. But at the same time, it was just kind of like, I don't, I remember feeling just like not knowing, like I didn't know if this was the end and I didn't know if it was going to keep going. And I just had to sit in that uncertainty and just like, I don't know. I don't know what this means. I have a million questions, but more than anything, it just increased my respect for Skylar. And, um, I remember we, so he texted, I forgot I was supposed to text him and tell him that I got the note and that I had read it. And he like texted me. He's like, so did you get it? And I, <laughs> I hadn't so responded. Nervous. He was so nervous. And I was like, Oh yes, I got it. Just give me one sec. I'm still like, I'll let you know when, when I'm ready to talk about it and then finally he came over and we sat down and we didn't really talk that much um I just remember it was like pretty emotional and the only thing I remember saying was I remember saying like I'm not ready to say yes to a marriage with you and I'm not ready to give up either But I want you to know, like, if we do end up getting married, like I'll be the luckiest girl ever because I just know you're such a great person. And I just knew, I don't know, I just kind of have like a knowing about, I just had a knowing about him. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I just knew what kind of person he was and that letter that he wrote me and the fact that he was gay and still wanted to stay within the church and everything, it just increased my respect for him.
1: If I could just input something here in my note, the thing I was most, I guess, cognitive cog- ah, thats a hard word—aware of <laughs> <laughs> is I, I wanted to make sure that she felt comfortable either way. Like I, I didn't want her to feel like she was trapped in a relationship because I confided in in her and told her about this. I wanted her to feel comfortable. Um, if she didn't want to continue, I, of course, would have been sad, but it, it was. Um, I wanted her to know that that was still an option and that she didn't feel stuck.
0: Um, What was the state of the relationship? You were not engaged or anything at this point. It's sort of, but you were exclusive with each other. Were you talking about marriage at this point? Was it that Mm -hmm. serious? Or were you just in a serious? I don't think we had yet. I don't think
2: we had (laughs) talked about marriage. I think him um, (coughs) writing that letter and coming out to me, kind of fueled a lot of conversations about marriage, not in like a we're getting married. Yeah.
0: It sort of moved up the the whole discussion.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (sighs) And it was more so like, well, what do you expect out of a marriage? And what do you see it looking like? And what do you want? And just lots of different questions. Lots of questions. (laughs) A lot
1: of questions, which I... I expected, and I was absolutely willing to, to answer for her. Um,
2: yeah. It kind of took our relationship to the next level. I want to say kind of like what you said, but we became a lot more open with each other and were able to ask hard questions and talk about hard things. And I remember like, I was able to be like, okay, these are your struggles and stuff. And then these are mine. And so I was able to share, I don't know, we just became way more open. and
0: uh, That's cool. I've found that being vulnerable and honest and open often then, and the other person feels safe the same way. Mm-hmm. And I've recognized that some of the very best message marriages I saw as a YSA bishop were these couples, that instead of sort of presenting themselves as their perfect selves for the entire engagement process, were really open and honest and vulnerable. And they came together in a way to heal each other and help each other and their honesty with each other. So that's, that's a part of, that's a beautiful part of your love story. Um, How long Amanda did this sort of phase go on in your mind where I'm either going to stay with Skylar, I'm going to end. And obviously you stayed with Skylar. Do you remember how long it took you until you just sort of said, this is not, I, this is not a reason to end this relationship because Skylar's gay.
2: Um I don't remember necessarily a time frame. I just remember um once I felt like all of my questions were like answered and I mean okay. So once I got most of the main questions out. Then I started feeling a lot better about staying with him and contemplating the idea of getting married. And then, but I would still have days every once in a while where I just would feel really bad about it. And Skyler was kind of dealing with his own stuff, like coming to terms with, okay, this is like, I'm going to be, it's almost like he had to give up the idea of ever being with another man and come to like, even though he had already decided that he wanted to marry a woman, it was still kind of like, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, no, but you kind of like, had to this go is through what that. It,
1: this is what it will actually look like in practice rather than just an abstract idea that I, I wanted to have a marriage and, and a wife and a family, but this was the first time that I had put it into practice. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think you started to realize the implications of what it would mean. And so when he would, when I could tell, because again, I'm really good at reading people.
1: (laughs) Way too good. (laughs) Frustrating sometimes. (laughs)
2: Can't get away with anything. Can't get away with anything. (laughs)
1: Can't hide anything from her. Uh,
2: But when, when I could tell he was having a rough day, it would impact me because I would feel like, oh, he is upset because he doesn't want to be with me. I'm making him miserable and things like that. So that would happen that I moved from like the phase of uncertainty. Once we were like engaged, I kind of had this phase where I was like, Oh, I'm making him miserable and he doesn't really love me. He doesn't want to be with me, which were all complete lies. They were just like, like, um, fake truths. but I don't even know what you'd call that. Like truths that weren't really true <laughs> that I had like ingrained in my head.
0: Talk about, um, I don't know how many people you talk to about the situation, but you would get unlimited advice that would all, that largely would be conflicting <laughs> <laughs> and that, and so I've, I, uh, did you talk to a lot of people or did you keep that pretty a small circle?
2: I kept it really small. Um, I was very careful about who I told. Um, I told my mom and dad and my sister, who was on a mission, um, and two friends that I was really close to, and then an aunt. And so.
0: And did you get a lot of conflicting advi- advice? Or, um, was, or was the. Ad- or not?
2: I kind of. I didn't. Luckily, my parents were like, well, we don't see. They just like were really supportive of Skylar and they were like, well, we don't see anything wrong with it as long as he is dedicated to the church and to you and really loves you. And he had been around my family for a little bit. So they, excuse me, kind of got an idea of who he was and, and just knew that he was a good kid. And um, I got
1: lucky in, the, in that way as well. Just amazing in-laws who are very supportive and very loving and, just a joy to be around.
2: I think they're pretty cool, I guess. (laughs) But um, yeah, I kind of, I was, like I said, I was really picky with who I told. And so I made sure um, to tell people who won knew Skylar because I felt like that was important because if you really knew Skylar, you knew what kind of person he was, even though he was gay, you knew how dedicated he was to, you just knew, I don't know, like my friends had had interactions with him and they really liked him and they were like his friend and my parents had had interactions with him. So I made sure that they had that component where they knew who he was. And I just made sure I like prefaced it with, I really, really care about him and I want to make this work. Can you help me? And I also actually started seeing a therapist and I prefaced, um, just to kind of help me cope. I have anxiety and depression. And so, um, it was like kind of a, I had been needing to go to the therapist, to a therapist for a while. And this was just kind of the thing that got me there. Um, and I went into it, I made sure I like got a therapist who was LDS and who had some background dealing with LGBTQ people and, um, she was really amazing i prefaced everything with i really want to make this work and i really don't want someone who's going to tell me that this is super wrong i just want someone to be objective who can help me figure out for myself if it's right for me and she was my therapist was amazing she just was like that's exactly my my role in your life i'm not here to tell you if it's right or wrong i'm here to help you figure out for yourself if it's right or wrong.
0: I love that part of your story. And I think it was smart not to tell a lot of people um, because I think you do get so much conflicting advice potentially that it's harder. And I think it protects your relationship to not tell a lot of people. And Mm I have always felt like even the advice I would give you would be not prescriptive in nature, be principled in nature. Like you've got to figure this out with you. And Heavenly Father and talking to Skylar and personal revelation. And maybe a parent has some ability to point out things, but I think even as a parent of an adult child, you can't tell your adult child what to do. So I hope those of us that are giving advice to people like Amanda in this situation aren't taking someone else's story and say, well, this is what's going to happen, or this is, you know, what I think an authentic marriage is. And because we don't, know what Heavenly Father's plan is for you and Skylar. And I think he's going to reveal that to you and Skylar and not to... But I I do like that sometimes friends, if unless they sort of say this is what you ought to do, if they can just help with thoughtful principles and angles to help you make a more informed decision, or asking even better questions of Heavenly Father, then that helps. So good job. And why did you... Maybe I've asked this. I've done two podcasts today, so I'm my brain doesn't work as well in the second podcast, so. <laughs> but the guests are awesome. Why, why did you come out? Um, did I already ask that Skylar? Um, cause you could have just not come out to specifically
1: Amanda yeah. or okay. I, well, I know I, I wanted to, um, eventually while dating, I didn't want to wait until we were married. Cause I don't think that in this situation would be very fair to her. Um, so I, I did want to, to talk to her eventually about it. Um, and her, I guess her, her, um, realization that something was, was going on and, and my inner struggles presenting themselves. Um, I think it just became time where I felt like it, you know, it was the time to, to talk about it. And we were in our relationship enough to where, you know, we both really liked each other and we uh, wanted to make it work. Um, and so, yeah, it just, I think it became time.
0: I'm glad you did that. I think one of the things I'm noticing about your generation is they're coming out in the dating process and it's part mm-hmm. of just learning about each other. And, yeah, and it's such an important part, but also for our listeners, you know, I've just done enough. I remember doing a podcast with Margaret Travis Stewart. Yeah, I uh, love them, and We've, you know
1: them. Yeah, Yeah,
2: they're awesome. We and, met
1: with them early in our our dating after I had, shortly after I had told her we
2: we had a connection with him and one of the friends that I told her sister knew him and or yeah, amazing so, couple.
0: And really I learned, cool. yeah, so if no one's listen if you're just listening to this podcast you want to hear another podcast go and find Travis and Margaret Stewart and yeah maybe 10 20,000 people have listened to that podcast but i as i heard them share their story i just recognized this is a beautiful marriage and um and a wonderful couple and with the deeply authentic beautiful marriage i think she talks about the 16 points of intimacy and and sometimes we just think of the physical or sexual part of a marriage and i recognize that's part of a marriage but there's all these other parts of a marriage that make a marriage work and i just learned about healthy marriages um mm-hmm. from both of them and and so i just i um i just i recognize that some people say to live your truth as a gay latter day saint sort of implies that you've got to then um, be in a same-sex marriage. And that right. is the path that some take. But I rec- I just think we've got to not prescribe paths for people. My general invitation, obviously, is to stay in the church mm-hmm. and find a way to make that work. But I'm always hesitant to sort of take one person's story and apply it to other people. Or I think everybody's got to kind of self-determine or find the right way. And it's not my jo- job then to judge their way. Yeah. Do you find people, let's talk about this. Um, you came out after you were married. Um, I don't know if it was on social media, just broader. Is that true, yeah. Skyler?
1: Yeah, on social media. Why?
0: Because, um, you know, why, why would you have done that?
1: That's a good question. I, I think it's in my childhood growing up with a lot of confusion and a lot of just not knowing what the future held for me, even though I, I had goals for the future and I had desires, you know, to have a, a wife and a family. Um I I did develop a lot of shame surrounding being gay. And that was my own doing. Um, I mean, we can always do better as a church in teaching the, you know, young people, especially in this situation, um, what you know, what this means for them, what um being LGBTQ means for them and how they can, um, have a happy life. We can always do better, but I did take teachings of the church and in- interpreted them in a way that, um, just created a lot of shame for me. So me coming out on social media more broadly was more for me than, than anything else. Um, and it was just a way for me to dispel that shame that I had developed and, uh, just become, yeah, I guess just more open about it for my sake.
0: How did you feel about this Amanda that, you know, that Schuyler wanted to come out?
2: I um was always supportive of just whatever he wanted. Um I mean, I had my opinions about what I thought would be best, but I was always I didn't ever want to push those on him. I wanted him to come to a point where he felt comfortable enough to just say, you know what? I'm gay, (laughs) just come out to social media and come out. He hadn't come out to his entire family, even just one sister knew. And so
1: I made sure to tell them before (laughs) I posted it. I I told all my close family and friends just so they wouldn't get get that sprung on them on social media rather than by me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I was fine. We both felt really good about it. And so I would, would just make sure, like, is this really what you want to do? Like, are you okay with this? And he was, and so I was very supportive of him. I just wanted him to do what he felt right. Were
0: you worried that if he came out more broadly that he's, it's, it's a stepping stone to have them to leave the marriage? Or did you ever go down that road, or did you think this is just part of his journey and it doesn't change his commitment to the marriage?
2: I never felt that way. Um, Skylar and I have had so many conversations and um, I just never felt like he was going to leave me. I always felt like he was committed to me and he wanted to stay in this. He wanted to have a family. And so I just saw it as part of his journey away. Like he said, to dispel some of that shame that he had developed growing up.
0: And that's would be my, answer now, too, is I've circled on my piece of paper, dispelled shame, you know, a couple times, and and I recognize, I, I, if I had been your bishop, <laughs> and you had said, Bishop, should I come out on social media as gay, this is after you're married, I'd probably say no, you know, I'll just keep that between you, there's mm-hmm. no reason for anybody else to know, but I realize by saying that, I'm adding to your shame. Yeah. And I'm sort of saying, this is a part of you that you shouldn't tell anybody about, um, and i'm i'm recognizing i'm sort of just indirectly saying this is a part of you that's not okay and you shouldn't share this with anybody and and i rec- and so i think you coming out is just about being honest with who you are it's not that your marriage isn't you're not less committed to your marriage or less committed to the church it's just that yeah. i want to dispel the shame so that i can live authentically and people know who i am And I think it's a sign of great spiritual maturity and emotional maturity. I think it's a sign of the health of your marriage that you're willing to come out and share this. And that that you, that's why I was kind of interested in your answer, Amanda, that you didn't say, don't do this. Because I think, and that may be the right thing for a spouse to say, I don't want to say, but I recognize if you had said, I don't want anybody to know this about you, um, that that would add to Skylar's shame that I don't want, you know, the world to know this part about you. We'll just keep that as a private little secret. And that may be the way some couples feel is the right way to go, and I don't want to say they're not, but I recognize that would just add to your shame, that your wife who loves you doesn't want anybody to know this part about you. And so shame is such a big part of this journey, as I've met with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and the shame that's self-imposed, but it comes from just, it's, I don't think you're born with shame. I think it's our culture that, I don't think you were born feeling shame about being gay, Skylar. I right. think that's our culture <laughs> that created that. Yeah. Um, and you're helping to break the stigmas around that by coming out and being on this podcast. Well, and then you. I think you're in a, I've felt that people when they come out and people love them, they're in a better position to just feel God's love and feel God um in their lives guiding them cuz they don't feel sh- that shame sometimes separates us from God and makes us feel sometimes not worthy of God's love or that he wouldn't love us and
1: yeah so any thoughts is that okay yeah and and i think um i think that's re- really fair i i think it's definitely been an, a generational thing each generation has its own problems and i think Our our parents' generation was a lot about, you know, don't ask, don't tell, keep, you know, keep your lives as private as you can. And um, while that maybe that was the right thing to do, you know, in that time period, Um, but I do think our generation is acknowledging and recognizing that um, it's not a bad thing to be open about, you know, your struggles, um, because that way we can have a conversation with everyone and we can um, you know, open up about our own issues and, you know, talk about that with people who may be experiencing it, experiencing it themselves, um, and just offer support for those who may not be ready to be open about it.
0: Well said. Any other thoughts before we move on to Milo?
2: Yeah. Your son. Something interesting that I was going to say, um, is that Skyler because of this Skyler's had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people who are going through similar situations even even before he had come out publicly he had opportunities to talk to people and to um help them through it we still to this day will get people that'll be like oh I know so and so there they're gay or they're bisexual and they're struggling and they, they don't know if they want to stay in the church or what they want to do. And they're really struggling. And we're like, we're happy to help. We're happy to talk to them
0: We're happy to help. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're happy to help. It's not like, well, they can go talk to Skylar. I love the way you're saying we're happy to help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She has her own experience with all of this. It's not just me. I mean, this affects her and our marriages as well. And we've been blessed that, it's not been as much of a struggle in our marriage than we thought it would it's um hardly ever brought up in a pro- in the light of a problem and we've been very fortunate for that and
2: yeah we feel like we have a really normal happy healthy marriage and we have some of the same struggles that all married couples have communication and <laughs> and dumb little arguments and finances and just the typical things you know
0: and for those of that are listening that are gay and want to you know marry a straight person be and in a mixed orientation marriage and that's your hope i've i've just met with a few of you and we had preston jenkins on the podcast that shared that story and he wants to marry a woman he's a gay latter-day saint and i would just i think all three of us would say we we want you to feel hope um in that path for you if that's the path you feel is right and yeah. we would want to do everything we can to create hope for you that that will happen for you and i wouldn't ever want to do anything as i minister with individual lgbt people to take hope out of their life or to or to share why that might not work or why it's not fair to the other spouse or why it's not authentic there's just you know you've heard all these statements mm-hmm but I just think it's unfair for us as outsiders to, to sort of take hope out of someone's life. And if and it, you don't have to marry, every, if you're a gay guy wanting to marry a woman, you don't have to marry every woman. <laughs> Not <laughs> every woman's going to be okay with this. Yeah. But right. there's usually, I've always felt like there's a perfect one for everybody or the right one for everybody. And you don't need to fall in love with everybody. Um, you need to be able to fall in love and make a marriage work with one person. And that one person, maybe Heavenly Father's preparing for you right now, just like Skylar's off serving a mission in Oregon, and I think Heavenly Father's preparing Amanda for, um, and you're being prepared for each other. Are you okay with that?
1: Yeah, and we we're just very strong advocates that we under we recognize this may not be the <laughs> this you know the right choice for everyone in my situation, but I am a strong advocate for at least keeping it on the table as an option and really prayerfully considering um, and thinking about, you know, if this could work and even, you know, trying and see what happens and you might be surprised.
0: Yeah. And I think you'd probably be careful about if, if I'm a dad of a gay son and my gay son says, this is not my path. I want to find a husband and be married I would get, I would assume you would be nervous about your story being used as a prescription to somebody else and sort of saying, this is how you do it. And yeah, here's examples of people doing, you got to do it this way. For sure. And so I think your examples are great, but I think it's, that's where I get nervous is when someone takes a story like yours and prescribes it for other people Yeah. and say, this is the way you do it. I think I don't think that's the reason you're trying to be on the podcast today, just, but on the other hand, we want to say, this is valid. Mm-hmm. And for people that are maybe on the fence or people that want to understand, mm-hmm. could this be their path? It's really important to hear stories like yours of successful marriages. Let's talk about baby Milo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Our favorite subject.
0: <laughs> um, and before we started, we shared some tears about Milo. And in fact, when I offered the prayer before we, uh, Um, started this podcast, I welcome Milo to the podcast. (laughs) Um, So this little guy with a very mature spirit, I just, you know, recognize he's part of your family, but um, you tell us about your pregnancy. Um, This little guy was obviously born at 24 and a half weeks. Was that a, just tell us about the pregnancy. Was it fine up until that point? And did he come very quickly or was there a a kind of an awareness that he could be early?
2: So I, this was my first pregnancy. Um, we got pregnant really fast with him and we were really thrilled with that. And I had a very, very, very normal pregnancy, nothing like no complications, just really, really normal, honestly. Um, and then I was probably about 23 weeks along and, um, Things kind of switched a little. I um, started leaking what I know now is amniotic fluid, but I didn't know it at the time. And um, it was it it wasn't like what you expect uh, to see when your water breaks or whatever. It was like a slow drip and I didn't know anything was wrong until about a week after it happened, um, it started seeming more like, okay, this isn't, this isn't really normal. Um, this is really watery and this just doesn't feel normal. And so I called my doctor and we ended up in the hospital that night and, They did tests to see if it was amniotic fluid or not, and it ended up it was. And so they told us at that point – I was probably 24 weeks pregnant. At that point, um, they told us that I'd be in the hospital until the baby was delivered. And we didn't get a ton of information that first night. They just were like, you're on bed rest. Um, I was on medication and – fluids and they were giving me steroid shots to help with Milo's lungs. And, um, they didn't really tell us how long that would be. They're like, ideally we want to get into 34 weeks, but we don't know how long, how long that's going to be. Like, we don't know if he can, if he's going to stay in there for that long. And so the next day we went down to, um, they took me down to maternal fetal medicine They're the specialists that deal with high-risk pregnancies. And they found out that my membranes had prolapsed, which meant they were bulging out of my cervix. And Milo was breached, so his little feet were sticking out. They were, like, basically coming out. He was, like, slipping out of me, basically.
1: Tap dancing down there. Yeah, they said tap dancing down there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And they... I don't think they went about this the right way but they basically told us that um he didn't have very high chances of survival and because at the at that point they thought he was gestationally at 23 weeks but then they like measured him and bumped him up they said he's actually more like measuring at like 24 weeks But before that, they told us that we didn't have very high chances of him surviving if he were to be born. And they were like, we want to get you in a C-section like today or tomorrow morning. And and then they said that I would have to have a vertical C-section because he was too, my uterus was too small for him to come out, for them to cut horizontally. And so they, and then they told us all these scary complications that could happen with that and future pregnancies. And we might only have one more baby. And so we're just getting wow. like so much information, information overload. And I was a wreck at, at
1: both were. Yeah, we <laughs> I'm better were. at hiding it, but
2: I was like, I'm going to throw up, I'm gagging, I'm crying. I, they wheel me back up to labor and delivery. And I was just like crying. I'm they're like, Skylar's pushing my cart with the medication, like the, my IV medicine and the nurse is wheeling my wheelchair. And I'm just like sobbing and gagging and everybody's looking at me. And I'm like, just a mess. And then I was able to stay pregnant for a couple days after that. So that was Tuesday morning, and Milo was born Thursday morning, which they say every day in the womb is a week less in the NICU. So it was a big deal that we were able to keep him in.
1: Just makes a huge difference at that gestation. Yeah. Having the baby in there for as long as possible, even days make a difference.
2: And they were really worried that because my, um, membranes had ruptured and like my water had broken. Technically it was, it was just like a tear in the membranes. It wasn't a complete rupture. So it wasn't like there was no fluid in there for him. It was just like a slow leak. And so, um, they were really worried about infection because they didn't know how long my membranes had been ruptured Probably about like a week and a half by the time he was born. And so they were kind of, they were watching me really closely to see if I developed any signs of infection because it was like the longer he's in there, the higher risk he is for getting an infection, which it could be like deadly to him, but also they didn't want him to me to deliver him too soon because that also decreased risk. I mean, decreased his chances of survival. So it was just kind of like this balancing act of like, let's just watch it really closely. And then Wednesday night, I finally started having contractions and just labored throughout the night. Um, it was really I was really frustrated because I felt like my nurse wasn't really taking me seriously. And I was like, I'm having contractions and you're not really like paying attention to them. And the contraction monitor, I think because he was so small and the, my uterus was still so small, it wasn't able to pick up a lot of contractions. Well, any contractions actually for that matter. And so, And they couldn't check how far dilated I was. So basically, we had no idea how far along I was if I was about to go into labor and have this baby. And it just felt like they weren't really didn't really care. And then finally, things got more intense and they called my doctor. They got things rolling and they tried to do an epidural. And that was a mess.
1: Probably the most stressful part, like stressful part of the whole thing was. Yeah. Trying to get the epidural (laughs) and they tried six times and couldn't get it in. Wow. So she had to deliver naturally and it was just a traumatic experience. It was traumatic to add add on top of everything. (laughs)
2: Yeah. And I was on a medication that made me feel miserable and hot and like fevered and flushed. and, And I was having contractions. Anyways, it was just horrible and then they finally took us down we had to deliver in the OR just because um it's closer to the NICU and the NICU staff can be right there for when he was born and we were in there i remember um after i had had that crazy experience with the epidural and i'd had like i had been very anxious with the epidural and i'd had a panic attack and just like i it was just really bad. But after I was able to just kind of like zone out and go to my, into my head and just like feel at peace. And then we were wheeling down, they're wheeling me down to the OR. And I had a moment where I was on the verge of like having another panic attack. And I just remember like in that moment I was like, I just was like, nope, I can't do it. I can't like I can't let myself have a panic attack. I have to be strong for Milo, and I really think there were angels and Heavenly Father was right there with me because um, Milo's delivery had to go just right in order for him to get here. Sorry, be- or else we could have lost him. Honestly, before he had even been born, and so luckily everything went just right. Oh, I forgot to mention a big thing that happened. A huge miracle that happened is like I said Milo was breached before and the doctors told us there was no way that he could flip, no way we could turn him or anything. And that night, Tuesday night, our doctor came, my doctor came in and he did an ultrasound and he was like he flipped. He's like he's no longer breach. And it was such a huge miracle. We always say it was just milo looking out for his mom and his other siblings he's just yeah he's an amazing little guy (laughs) and
1: so we were able to deliver naturally and not have to do the c-section which is a
2: which was a huge miracle a huge miracle because of the other the complications they told me that could happen and we always knew we wanted a few kids and so when we were told that we might only have one more after Milo, we didn't even know Milo was going to survive and let alone this next, like our next pregnancy, we didn't know what that was going to look like. So we were really blessed and I didn't push for very long. I remember, I think it was like two pushes.
1: Yeah. He shot right out.
2: He was tiny. He was a pound and a half when he was born. um, And 12 inches long. So really tiny little guy I remember he didn't cry when he was born um but I remember just like he was born and the doctor had Skylar cut the umbilical cord and they just whisked Milo away and like on this little cloth they had him and I just saw like a blur of skin really um and they took him to the NICU and Sky was able to go with them and like watch them like get him all, like resuscitate him. And I wasn't, I had to go, I had to finish the delivery process and then go to my room and um, they had to get me all ready and every, yeah, there's just a lot. And so. But Sky, they FaceTimed, I think you FaceTimed me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. She met her son over FaceTime. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. For the first time.
1: For the first time, yeah. That's Um, great. Yeah.
2: So that's kind of... So just
0: getting Milo here was a big deal. Yeah. And then he's alive in the NICU and you're full of guarded hope, full hope that... I don't know what the mortality rate is for babies born at 24 and a half weeks. Do you know that off the top of your head?
2: Um, I know that 24 weeks is, um, like considered viability. So at 24 weeks is a huge milestone to hit because that's viability. And, um, I'm pretty sure our doctors told us across the nation, it was a 50% chance of survival, But that their NICU does, like the NICU, we were at Utah Valley, and that that NICU does a little bit better than the national average. So if I
0: met you this night, you probably would have been full of hope. This is because so much opposition had occurred to this point, just getting Milo here without a C-section alive in the NICU I'm thinking you're feeding us huge relief. Mm. We've got a chance mm. now. Yeah. This kid might really live because he's finally going to get the help he needs in the NICU Yeah, and he survived delivery mm-hmm. and you're going to be okay in your future family because it wasn't a C-section. So there's probably a lot of hope that night, even though you're still drugged up and not maybe. <laughs>
2: and
1: I would say, especially after a couple of days, because in, so in the first 48 hours, there are a lot of, Potential issues that can happen, and you knew that that night. We knew yeah. that going into it, yeah. And he luckily um, got past that. And yeah. brain bleeds are a big issue. Um, he didn't have his his brain bleeds were very minimal, um, which so there, was a
2: huge, huge miracle.
1: Yeah. So there are a lot of things that, if you would have come, probably day three, we would have. We were feeling pretty good. It's pretty good on yeah. day three. And...
2: Mm-hmm
0: and Milo passed away about 30 days.
2: It was 24 days.
0: 24 mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Share with our listeners just what you want to share um in those 24 days and then also just what happened. Is and it, yeah, then obviously let's talk about now that Milo's gone, what what's going on, how you're feeling.
1: Well, you um they they do your best, they do their best to prepare you for the NICU experience. It is a roller coaster um, for sure. There are a lot of ups and downs. Um, he would be doing really well with some things, and another issue would present itself that we had to worry about. Um, there are a lot of miracles and also a lot of drawbacks. Mm-hmm. Just basically everything, every emotion you can go through has a parent on this. Yeah.
2: And you kind of become like a special, like a, like you know all these medical things that you're like, why do I, why do I need to know this? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I'm not planning on going to medical school, but yeah, we I basically know these
1: could things. at this point though. <laughs> <laughs> we could go into neonatology. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, it's just crazy. It's crazy what you learn, and and Milo faced a lot of challenges in his NICU stay, and we finally got to a point where. We felt like things were kind of calming down a little bit. He had had a chest tube in, which if you don't know what a chest tube is, they're horrible. Adults have to have them sometimes and they're just so painful. They make an incision on the side. Um, Well, I guess kind of wherever they make an incision and they insert a tube and it's to either pull fluid out or air out. And so he had just gotten that taken out and that was like a huge thing and Then he had moved to a more conventional ventilator and we could actually hold him. So we didn't get to hold him until about three weeks of life.
1: It was the weekend before he passed. Uh, Amanda, we switched off every day. Only one person could hold him. So Amanda got to hold him first. And then I got to hold him doing skin to skin. Um, And then she got to hold him a third time. So we were really grateful he stuck around to let us hold him and... That was a really special moment.
2: It was really special. (laughs) And, sorry, it was so special for me because I felt like this is my baby, you know? He knows me, and his numbers were so good. They'd, like, not been that good for the whole time, (laughs) and so it was really special too hold him and feel like this is this is my baby you know
1: it's hard to connect to a baby when they're in a little isolate and it's very minimal um it would help with changing his diaper and things like that so we gotta interact with him a little bit but it's hard when you can't hold him to really um understand that connection and feel that this is our son this is our little milo
2: and then um I held him on Saturday. This is before he passed. I held him for one time on Saturday. And then that morning of Sunday, Sunday morning, they called us and they said, so Milo's numbers have been not so great over the night. He's had to. he's required more oxygen and his um, CO2 levels don't look super great. And so... They were like, we don't really know what's going on. It could be these things, but we don't really know. But he looks really alert and he doesn't look like a sick baby, which is really rare for what he was going through at the time. And then later that afternoon, that evening, they called us and said, well, things have changed a bit and he's now looking pretty sick. His color doesn't look very good and he's still needing a ton of oxygen. Um And his c o two just is not where we want it to be, and so we came in, and we went to his bedside, and I just cried because he looked so sick
1: up to yeah up to that point he um he was a very um <laughs> we're obviously biased, but he <laughs> Even the nurses would say that he doesn't look like a NICU baby. He doesn't have the typical, um, <laughs> where they look a little bit like an alien. Like he, <laughs> he was a really, cu- really a cute. cute kid. He, he always looked really good and his color was always, you know, really good. So when we went in there and saw, he was really yellow and we could tell that something was up and um, that was a hard, that was just the beginning of a really hard evening that, happened so quickly, Um, we were told that he most likely was going septic, uh, which means the uh, infection is entering the bloodstream, which for a lot of adults even can be a death sentence. So we kind of knew, well, I didn't, I I wasn't familiar enough, but when Amanda heard that, she kind of knew what, you know, the serious nature of what was happening. And so it all, it all happened very quickly where he, they were putting in a pick line, uh, which is where they. An art line. An art line, sorry, <laughs> where they put a, a line in his artery so they can um, take samples and give him nutrients through that. So they were and doing get that. His,
2: his blood pressure.
1: Too. And blood pressure, yeah. yeah. So they were doing that and it went okay. And just shortly after, he his heart rate dropped dramatically. Um, and they gave him a a bunch of medications to try and get that up. The neonatologist was on the line with the pediatric um, cardiologist and they were both just stumped. They had never seen something like this in such a a small baby. They'd seen it in in older babies, but not a baby as small as Milo. So they um, did CPR on on him for a while, but eventually... um, just asked us for permission to let him go peacefully. Um, and so he they cut all his lines and were able to put him on Amanda's chest and he passed away on his mom's chest and opened his eyes one last time as a little parting gift to us. Um, it was really, really hard night, but really spiritual and, and special in its
2: own way. Yeah. I just remember I had gone out during the procedure Because I didn't want to watch it. I mean, what mom wants to watch their tiny, tiny baby going through a horrible procedure. Um, And I remember the nurse came out and just, I could tell, like, she was walking really fast. And her voice was very serious when she said, you need to come to the bedside right now. And in that moment, I knew that something was really wrong. And I just was crying and I was just beside myself. I was, I think I was repeating like, no, 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 just over and over and over again. And we got there and there were just like a million doctors and nurses and people around the bed. And we watched them work on him, like Skylar said, for a good 20 minutes, probably. (laughs) And I had a nurse. Luckily, one of the nurses was like translating what all the doctors were talking about and saying and doing, because I didn't know. They're like, "Give him this medication." I'm like, "I don't know what that medication does," (laughs) and and it was really horrible. (laughs) Um, and how do you answer the question of, "Will you let him pass peacefully?" Like, how do you?
1: Amanda did a lot better at that. I was completely beside myself and didn't know how, or didn't want to answer that question from the doctor. And I just kind of looked at her and she,
2: I just kind of knew
1: she just knew. And she gave, you know, kind of nodded and said, yeah, that's what we need to do.
0: You showed me a couple pictures of Milo. Um, his eyes are open. You know, I sometimes forget twenty-four and a half week old babies are babies. They're yeah. your child. There's <laughs> yeah. not like they don't count as your child, and your love for this kid, this boy, and to have that little guy pass away on your—I love for he passed away. I love that. I don't love that he passed away, but I love that he passed away on your chest. Me too. I have to think he. Is in heaven now, remembering where he passed away. I don't think Milo would have wanted to be anywhere different than his mortal mom's chest, and and no mom should have should have their kid leave first. Um, I recognize a lot of you know people. I don't quite you know what are guess i'm trying to figure out where to go you know what are things people say they're helpful to you um, as you've lost a child and what are things that are not as helpful
2: <laughs> i think i thought a lot about this and the thing that has helped me the most is when someone is just willing to be with me in the pain And take part in my heartache. They're willing to just cry with me or just be there. And not, it's not even, it's just like, I'm sorry that this happened to you. This is really hard. You're going through something so hard. And just acknowledging that and acknowledging my pain, that is what... Has helped me the most.
1: Yeah, and I, we received a lot of amazing support. Um, just like she said, just being, being willing to be there with our with us in our pain and just acknowledging it. Just you know, just a, a quick message they sent, just saying you know, hey, we're here, um, was very helpful to us. I think the the only thing that was not helpful was um well a a couple things the first thing any sort of comments starting with at least (laughs) are really troubling and um i i might you know i i'm a naturally optimistic person and so i might fall into that trap as well we want to make it better we want to say you know at least um you got to hold him or at least he was here for some time and while that may be true, it's just difficult to hear that in that situation and, and it doesn't help with the coping process. So, that, um, as well as uh, just not, I mean, it, I know it's a difficult situation when someone you love goes through something hard and you don't want to add to that burden. Um, but, not, there. there are some people who didn't feel like they could approach us, or they could be there for us or just offer their support. So there are there, you know, some people in our life who um, didn't reach out to us. And that was really hard for us. We recognize that it's it's a difficult situation and uh, we don't necessarily blame, necessarily blame them for that. Um, but just in way of advice, I guess, if you're ever in that situation, just sending a quick message and saying, Hey, we're here for you. That means a lot to someone in in the midst of tragedy um, and you're not going to add to their burden by sending them a quick message and even acknowledging like hey you don't need to you know reply to this we know you're going through a lot but we just want you to know that we're here and that we love you
0: where is Milo born? <laughs> um buried
2: he is up at east lawn in uh-huh. provo
0: did you have a graveside funeral? Did you have a funeral at the church? Or we did... did.
2: We did a graveside thing, and and we kept it pretty small, just close family and friends, and um, it was perfect.
0: How did you find a casket?
2: Um. So Skylar's parents know someone.
1: They know someone in in the um, industry of making caskets. We used to live somebody by somebody who. Um, created the cement enclosure for them so I, they had a um, a contact and g- received a, a really good price and it was there were a lot of things like that where as far as money there were a lot of things presented present that presented themselves um that really helped uh helped us out like with east lawn um it was a miracle that we got in there we we had family amanda's grandparents who had a spot there and we were able to bury him deeper in his uh, or in Amanda's gram- grandma's grave who oh, is that's really still cool. with us. That's but, really wonderful. Yeah. yeah. She was thrilled about she that. She was so happy about
2: that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> she wonderful. even said something. She's like, no, I can't hardly wait to die because then I can just be <laughs> with him. I'm like, okay, grandma, he can't leave us yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I want to touch on something that you asked about, um, what's helpful, what's not helpful. I learned that about this thing called the rule of thirds when it comes to grieving. And there are three different groups typically of, um, people who like as support to someone who is grieving. There's the, the group where people are really helpful. They reach out, they check on you. They say, Hey, I, I, I'm bringing you food. Is that okay? Or, hey, I was thinking of you and I found this thing that reminded me of you and it reminded me of Milo and I'm going to bring it to you. Just little things like that. Or even do it without asking. They just do it. We had a close family member who just brought over lunch the day after Milo died. She didn't ask. She just showed up. She said, I went to Costco. She came with all this food and she said, here take this food and just amazing people like that. And so then there's also the group of people who just don't know what to do. They, they aren't harmful, but they aren't helpful really. They're just there. And I think in some regard, they're, they're dealing with their own issues with like mortality and how they feel about seeing someone they love suffering and, how they just feel inadequate and uncertain of how to help. And I'd say to those people, just, just, just reach out. You don't know what to say. Admit that. Say to someone, Hey, I don't know what, I don't have words. I don't know what to say to you right now, but I love you. And I want to know how to help. Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? I think giving people who are grieving options is huge. Just saying, would it be helpful if I came over? Do you want to talk about it? Would it be better if I just dropped food on your doorstep so you didn't have to interact with anyone? Just things like that. Just admitting that you don't know what to do, but you want to help and you want to express your love. And then there's obviously the group of people who cause more harm when someone's grieving. And I mean, intentionally, unintentionally, it just happens, you know?
0: That's very helpful, and I recognize that I have work to do there, and I love some of the suggestions you gave in that middle group um, that I could ask, would it be better for me just to drop food off at the door, or can I? how can I help you and, and sort of let you guide me in what the best way, instead of me just assuming this is the best way I can help you, that I ask you and involve you in that. And so I don't just, and everybody needs help in a different way. Some people might just like food at the doorstep because they don't have to emotionally sort of talk about the situation mm-hmm. with everybody it comes to the door. And some people that might be very helpful. Um, I love your, that was some really good nuggets from both of you that I learned. And I think our listeners, I loved your line. I circled it, Skylar, at least. Um, yeah. And that sort of fits in these platitudes that I'm aware of. Sometimes we mm. say a platitude mm. that maybe keeps me emotionally safe, and but it keeps me from fully understanding the pain that you carry. So if I say, you know, at least you can have more. I'm, I don't want to make up doings. you probably heard them all, but yeah, <laughs> I, I recognize if I say somehow, well, at least you can have more kids. At least you're young that minimizes the pain of you've lost a human being. You've lost an eternal member of your family Yeah, that you would give both of your lives for. And he's gone. And another child, while it will be a joy, will never replace Milo. From what I understand, Milo, you know, Milo is gone and your family will never be the same. And so I recognize that if I say at least whatever those are, that, I'm not probably doing that out of being mean, but I think it's, I'm not fully understanding the pain and I could be adding to your pain because I'm minimizing the difficulty of your experience.
1: Yeah.
2: Yes. I was very (laughs) frustrated, I guess. Grief's weird. (laughs) It makes you feel a lot of emotions, but I think I was really frustrated with platitudes. I heard that a lot. And they are they can be very very painful for someone who's just lost someone so important to them. Yeah. Especially a child. Losing a child is different because like you said, people can see it as like well at least you can have another one or at least you didn't have very much time with them to get to know them and and stuff like that. But just like if you lost your mom, you wouldn't say to them, "Well, at least like maybe you can go out and your dad can get remarried and find find a stepmom and and that'll take that place." You would never say that to someone, you know. And it's kind of the same, like Milo. No one's going to be able to replace him. You know? I
0: love that, and I. I would assume that, you know, when your next child's born, that doesn't end the grieving. It's not mm-hmm. like Mm-mm. that's okay. Now, I, if I'm your friend, I can quit grieving with you or, you know, because I recognize that those aren't, li- those aren't sort of Milo's, the end of grieving with Milo does not end with the next child because Milo's still gone. Right. And he still died on your chest that Sunday night in the ICU. My brother helped me understand that. Um, it's unrelated. It's different but maybe the similarity. his (laughs) wife died of brain cancer and he later remarried and he helped me understand that just remarrying didn't cause his grief for his current wife to end.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Or his, or his loneliness of not being that his current wife or his wife who had died just because he was remarried and was really glad to be remarried. And that's a healthy relationship. I recognize that those were two different events that didn't cause one to end and one to start. was very helpful for me. Maybe there's some similarities here when your next child comes along. Yeah. So other, we're kind of at the end of their time allotment, other things you'd like to share with our listeners so they can help families like you that have lost a little one.
2: Well, I do want to touch on the spiritual ramifications of losing a child, because I think that is not talked about enough. And I think it's almost, um, there's kind of this idea that, oh, well, you're a member of the church, so you should know where your child is and you should not grieve anymore. Wow. You should, that should bring you enough peace and comfort. And that's not, that's not true. Unfortunately, you still miss that person and your heart longs to be with them and, there's also this confusion of you can look around and you can say, well, look at, look at all these miracles that God has caused to happen in other people's lives. Why didn't it happen in mine? And it really, really causes you to question who God is and, and come to question how he feels about you. Because if if he blesses this person with some beautiful miracle where their child was born at 24 weeks, but they got to take them home. But then he doesn't bless you with that. It that is heartbreaking. And it kind of goes along with what we we're talking about with shame. You know, it feels almost like, am I not worthy of God's love? Am I not? good enough? Have I done something to cause this? <laughs> and honestly, I don't have answers right now. <laughs> I'm still very much grieving. And Do you get angry? Yeah, definitely. At God? <laughs> yes, I feel yes. <laughs> it's okay. It just, you know, it just, it feels like he's betrayed you. He's left you alone. He's completely disregarded what you wanted so bad and prayed so hard for.
0: I'm glad we didn't end the podcast before you heard <laughs> that. Um, These are great questions. And if I gave you a short, quick answer, that would dismiss the complexity of the question and the pain. Right. So my re- feeling is to honor everything you said and did you know and not come back with a scripture, a, a paragraph of a conference talk. There may be some of that might be helpful eventually, right? Um, but I think I have to sit with you in your pain and the complexity of that, mm-hmm. and the unknowing of that. And I have to honor your anger. I've learned to honor people's anger, even if even at God. I think God can handle it.
2: I think He can. Too. I think
0: He would sort of say, "I understand why you're angry. You're right. It isn't fair. And why didn't you get your miracle?" And then I think it's. Culturally, we look inward and we go, well, then the only difference here is it must be me. What have I done wrong? Um, What is, why is God punishing me or our marriage because our little guy didn't, you know, make it at 24 and a half weeks and that little guy did? So those are really honest thoughts. Um,
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I just, I just think it's healthy to express that out loud and to be honest with how you feel. And you're in this really tough desert right now. You know, I, I call this, you know, you become the wounded healers as, as you be able to walk through these difficult deserts, but you're still in that. Yeah. And I think I would give you hope that you'll that you'll be able to walk out of that and you'll be able to reach people that are have had those same sort of questions. And you may be able to, because you'll get it, and mm-hmm. you may be able to help people in a way that, Other people aren't out because you didn't get your miracle. And this is just pain. Um, And I, you know, that's just some thoughts. It's just really (laughs) honest and complex.
1: I've definitely um, learned a lot from Amanda regarding this um, in this situation, as far as how we can help those who are grieving. Um, Because like I said, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic as, as a person naturally and, um, often to a flaw. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and she has shown me that, um, you know, when she comes to me with, with things like this, my first instinct when she comes with a problem or something she's failing is to give solutions and say, well, this is how you fix it, A, B, C. Um, but she has taught me that, Most of the time, that is not what people who are grieving um, or confiding in you, that's not what they need. They may know that already, or at the very least, they're not ready to hear that. They just need you to be there. They need you to validate what they're feeling um, and just hurt with you for that. Hurt with you. Yeah.
0: That's even better than mourn with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, she... I've learned a lot from her in this during this experience. Um,
0: Do you think about, I mean, we say Milo's in a better place. You know, um, I, I agree with that. But <laughs> I've always, sometimes I think about people that have gone and there's this, I wonder if Milo would actually like to be with you two right now. You know, I mean, yeah, being with God sounds pretty cool, but being with your parents and have the chance to be raised, I've thought, you know, if Milo could talk, he, I'm not positive. He'd say, I, I, I would have to think Milo has some of the pain you have. And he, you know, when he left mortality, he knew you too, and he wanted to be in your family, and he is eternally, and he gets that, and probably has a better perspective than we do, but he's human. And I don't think when we're go to heaven, we lose our human emotions. So I've thought, as I'm just thinking about this little guy, you know, I just see this little guy's, but you know, I have to think, you know, I have to think he would want to be here, and he didn't get the chance to be raised by you and be in your family, and be the older brother to other kids that he's maybe there with now, and and so he sees the eternal perspective, but he misses the mortal expect perspective that he wanted to have. Yeah,
1: and is he angry too? I, you know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's something, definitely something that we've considered and a question Amanda has brought up. You know, he's he's perfect. He is without flaw. Um, how can he, is he even missing us or does he even need us at this point? And <laughs> well, I so- agree. I think he he does. And he those mortal um, emotions haven't left him and he misses us just as we miss him.
0: I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if doctrinally we can do this. I sometimes put, um, I don't think this is too radical of an idea, but sometimes in the prayer roll, I'll put the names of people that have died on the prayer roll. And I've felt at times their pain, even though they've lived good lives, it's not like they need to be (laughs) saved. And that's why I'm putting their name on the prayer roll, because I'm worried about their eternal salvation. I just sometimes sense their that the human emotions that are part of them continue and there's there's and there's just healing that needs to happen even on the other side of the veil. So I don't know. (laughs) I really
2: appreciate you saying that. And I really like, I like that concept. I, I think, I mean, even though like, it's a separation from people that you love, I mean, even though you know you're going to see them again, you think of a child who, knows they're going to see their parents again. Like they go out on a date or something and they come back, but that child still cries when they leave, you know? And I think it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like Milo knows he's going to see us again, but, and we know we're going to see Milo again, but that doesn't make the separation any easier.
0: Tell our listeners the name Milo. Where did that name come from? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. So I've loved the name Milo for a good while now. And Skylar and I, we just, so my family has the tradition where you pick a couple names and then when you see the baby, you name the baby. Skylar's family is a little different where they have the tradition where you give a baby a name even before it's born. Like once you find out the gender. I
1: didn't love the name Milo to begin with.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But we kind of made a compromise because I I didn't want to give the baby a name until I saw him. And so... But we made a compromise. I was like, okay, Skylar, we can name the baby now if we get to pick the name that I like. <laughs> and so we picked Milo and it just felt right.
1: And obviously it's grown on me and I, and I love it now.
0: Um, What's Milo's middle name? Does he have a middle name?
2: Yes, it's Jude. Cool. Yeah. And um, we really just, we really liked that name, but also we kind of, he like Skyler Skylar really loved the Beatles he introduced me to the Beatles and I don't know, it just, we loved the name Jude from and so, but something really cool about Milo is, um, my sister, when we were, when I was first hospitalized, we came up with a little like name of mighty Milo. And I know there's, there's probably other people who have done that too, but it just, when that happened, it just was like, okay, this feels so super right.
0: Love that. Yeah. Well, um, Skylar and Amanda Sorensen, Milo, Jude, mighty Milo Jude, who I felt <laughs> your presence here in this podcast, thank you for sharing your story. You as a gay Latter-day Saint, and, but I sense that what you've gone through with Milo is much more difficult than anything related to that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: and you two are a wonderful couple, and you've walked really difficult roads early in your marriage, but I just you know this is maybe a platitude then, but I I just believe you're going to be able to help and heal and relate to so many people in so many ways and will have great insights to heal and help other people because of the road you're on. Um, so thank you. Thank for, you. For thank, our, us. thank our Thank our listeners for, <laughs> for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler.